Good morning, everybody. Glad to be with you. Man, when I see videos like that, I just get so encouraged. Because this, this year was a hard year, right? But stuff like this shows that God was still on the move. Even in this community, even in the face of a pandemic, we see amazing things happening in our church. If you don't recognize me, uh, I mostly work behind the scenes with our online ministry. My name's Anthony Pieri. I came on staff as a pastor earlier this year in February, right before the pandemic started. My wife and I were living in the city. I was a pastor uh, down there, but we moved back and then uh, we had a great welcome, you know, with this whole global pandemic that happened overnight, seemingly. But uh, this church is actually my home church. I grew up in Christ Church. I was, uh, went through all of Lighthouse, all the different Sunday schools, all the way up through Shig, the high school youth group in Shig. I met my wife. We got married on this stage in 2015 by Siler. So it's great to be back with my church family. We're going to be talking today about how to have a better mindset in the year 2021. How to have a better mindset in the year 2021. I think uh, it's no surprise that 2020, it was hard on everybody. It was a hard year for every single person for different reasons, whether it was loss of a job or maybe it was loss of a loved one. This was a uniquely hard year for us. And I think if we look back on it, we would say, Man, I wish I thought about things a little bit differently. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah, get it? <laughs> but as we go into 2021, I don't think we're fully out of the woods yet. Unfortunately, we have a good vaccine on the horizon, but I think there's going to be more suffering. And so I think there's a better mindset that we maybe could have as we go into 2021. But before we talk about the better mindset, what was the mindset that we had in 2020 that needs to be improved upon? 2020 was hard on everybody, but I think 2020 was uniquely hard for most Christians. Because I think the underlying two goals that most Christians have are these. I think that most Christians want to follow Jesus and to avoid suffering. Maybe if you ask a Christian, and I'm talking Christians who regularly attend church, not just like a cultural Christian or someone who just takes the label but really doesn't do anything with it. I'm talking about the people who go to church on Sundays uh, and, and are involved in small groups and all those things. I think all of us, we kind of sometimes adopt these two goals. I want to follow Jesus and I want to avoid suffering. And you see this through the actions. I, I pray as much as I can. I read my Bible as much as I can. I hope that my kids grow up with biblical values, so I put them through Sunday school. But also, I want to retire at 65. I want to eat healthy and exercise so I can avoid having diseases. I want my kids to go through Sunday school to get biblical values, not just because it's the right thing to do, but also I don't want them to do drugs when they get older. I don't want to have a teen pregnancy on my hands. And I think if they're Christians, they'll probably be less likely to have those things happen. They want to follow Jesus and avoid suffering. If you wanted to put this on a graph, it could look maybe something like this. Over time, you want to follow Jesus more. But over time, you also want to suffer less. You want to avoid suffering more and more as you keep going. But the problem is, if you really dig underneath the surface, most Christians would say, actually, they probably wouldn't say this because they're not, we're not very self-aware Christians sometimes. We should be more, but we're not always. These two things are not two separate goals. They're actually one goal that's tied together. It's all one unifying mindset. And the graph might look more like this. We think deep down, the more we follow Jesus, the more we're going to avoid suffering. That if I'm faithful and I follow Jesus, 
then suffering will be minimized. The, the, the mindset is not follow Jesus and avoid suffering. If we're really honest, for a lot of us, it's follow Jesus to avoid suffering. It's all one goal. And now maybe you're thinking, but isn't that true? Isn't it true that if we follow Jesus, we're going to avoid suffering? Like, you can hear the stories of people before they were a Christian. I was an alcoholic. I was a gambler. My life was in shambles. And then I became a Christian and everything got on track. On some level, this is true. And if you have lived by the mindset, I want to follow Jesus to avoid suffering, it probably produced pretty good results. Good dividends came your way because of this. That is until 2020 hit. Suddenly, 2020 takes that and turns it completely upside down. Because all of a sudden, we start to realize, wait a minute, my suffering and my Jesus following maybe aren't as connected as I thought they were because I've been faithfully following Jesus and now I'm dealing with all the suffering from a global pandemic. I've been reading my Bible every day. I've been praying. I've been tithing. I've been doing all the things that you should do and I just lost my job and I just lost a loved one because of this disease. Or maybe I, I've experienced more suffering and, and anxiety and depression from the whole political atmosphere that has come. Uh, we start to realize that this simply doesn't work. This mindset, it's, it's not only not true, it doesn't work. It actually doesn't help us. And so I think that we need a better mindset for 2021. I think we need something better. And thankfully, I think the Bible offers us a more robust a more Christ-like, a more holistic mindset that lets us be ready for anything that will hit us in the next year. Now, this mindset, it's all over the Bible. It's in, it's in all different parts, but we're going to look at it specifically in the book of Philippians. It's a letter by a guy named Paul. If you're newer to Christianity or if you're not a Christian and you came with a, a friend, Paul was a big figure in early Christianity. He wrote half of the New Testament, which is the second half of our Bible. He was a massive church planter, and he wrote a lot of letters to all these different churches. And so we have these letters preserved. This one was to a church in a place called Philippi, and so it's called Philippians. And so this is what we're going to read. This is what Paul says. He says, for you, and this includes us, you know, in the future, because he's speaking to a church, but this is to the church broadly as well. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ— so, so far we're all on board. Yeah, what a privilege that we can trust in, in Christ. But also the privilege of suffering for him. Now that should give you pause. The privilege of suffering? That doesn't seem like a privilege. How is suffering a privilege? Now before you're tempted to think, well, maybe this guy Paul, he just never really suffered. If he went through what I went through in this last year, he would not be calling suffering a privilege. But one fact that you should know is Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. And he didn't actually deserve to be in prison. It's not like he murdered someone and that's why he's imprisoned. He's actually in prison for preaching about Jesus, for proclaiming the gospel, for being a Christian. And also, besides being imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten up, he was stoned, and not the kind that comes from legalized marijuana. But people surrounded him and threw stones at him to try to kill him. Paul was intimately aware of the reality of suffering. And yet, he says, suffering is a privilege. How can that be? Well, in order to understand how suffering can be a privilege, Paul says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. If you want to see it as a privilege, you've got to think about suffering like Jesus does. In other words, you could say, you need to have the same mindset that Jesus had when it comes to suffering. And so what was the mindset of Jesus? We read this in the next verse. 
Though he, so this is still Paul talking, and he's talking about Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. These are incredibly famous verses. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard some, some of these said, maybe not in this exact translation, but you're probably familiar with these. These were uh, thought to be like an early Christian creed that was passed between different Christians that they would memorize this and teach it to other people. People think that Paul added on that last sentence that he died a criminal's death on a cross to make a point. So what was that point? Four things I want you to take away from Philippians 2, just very quickly. This can help us understand how suffering could be seen as a privilege. This is how Jesus thought of it. Four things. Jesus was God. This is a distinctly Christian belief. We believe that Jesus was, was God, but he was also fully human, fully God, fully man. And yet, he didn't hold on to his authority. He didn't use his divine position to avoid suffering. Instead, he humbled himself. He humbled himself taking the position of a slave. He was not literally a slave, but everything he did was for the sake of other people. He always valued other people's lives above his own, going so far that he willingly died for all of us. He willingly allowed himself to be executed on the cross. Now, in case you're tempted to think that he couldn't have got out of it, there's this scene that we see where the Roman guards, because Jesus had angered the religious leaders so much that they got Rome, they got the guards to come and, and capture Jesus, arrest him. And so they're coming to arrest him, and one of Jesus' followers very brashly pulls out a sword. He's like, we can't let Jesus get captured. So what he does, he pulls out a sword, and he cuts off the ear of one of the guards. But then Jesus rebukes him. He completely rebukes him, and this is what he says. He says, don't you realize that I could ask my father, meaning God, for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Jesus didn't use his position to get out of suffering because he knew what was on the other side of it. He knew what suffering would produce, and this is what it would produce. Jesus' suffering would result in the death of sin. Now, you're all church-going people, for the most part, I'm guessing, if you've made it out during the pandemic, you're, you're singing with a mask on, you're, you're, you're dealing with all this uh, social distancing, be honest, this is usually the part of the sermon that you start to tune out. And unfortunately, we all do this, because if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard what's called the gospel explained many, many different ways. And so you start to tune it out because you're like, I know this, I know where this is going. And you start thinking, what am I going to have for lunch today? But do not tune this out because there is a piece of the gospel that I think we all have missed, that we all have just sort of looked over, something that relates to us directly in 2020, going into 2021, that can change the way that we think about suffering and our role in all of this. Okay, so do not tune this out. Stay with me. Jesus' suffering results in the death of sin. Now, we believe as Christians that when, when God made people Humanity rejected God. They said, we want to be our own gods. We don't want to be under your control. We want to be on our own. And so what happened was that people started to sin. They started to do things that were wrong. They started to be more selfish and prideful. And it was like each one of those little pieces of sin was building up this giant wall, a big wall between God 
and people. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus says, listen, I'm going to take that wall and it's going to go on to me. And then when I die, the wall is going to come tumbling down with me. That when I die, this wall of sin is going to die with me, which allows for reconciliation to be possible between God and people, between creator and creation. It allows us to even make that decision to follow Jesus in the first place. Now, this is something that we Christians love to say. We love to say, you need to follow Jesus. You know, it's not about going to church. It's not about going through the motions. It's about following Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. Take the step to follow Jesus today. But if you're a thinking person, you should say, well, where's he going? If I'm going to follow Jesus somewhere, then I should probably think about where is he going to take me? And you can look at Jesus's life and the answer is maybe not so pretty. Jesus is going directly to the cross. He's going to die. He's going into the suffering. And so he's calling us because he's broken down this wall. We are called to follow Jesus into the suffering. So it's not follow Jesus to avoid it. Our mindset for 2021 is, has to be that we follow Jesus into it. And maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. That sounds like the last thing that I want to do. I th- and I'm not even sure that I have to do that because isn't the whole thing that Jesus dies in our place, right? Like he dies so that we can live and then we tack on in parentheses, a pain-free life, right? Like, do we even have to do that? But what Paul understood was that suffering was a privilege, and Jesus understood this as well, because suffering does something. It does something that nothing else does, even remotely as well. Suffering reveals sin. Now, let me give you an example. I want you to imagine some sin in your life, Maybe not your life, maybe someone else you know. It's, maybe it's easier to think about other people's problems than your own. So imagine someone you know who has some very big sin issue. The sin that they, they are engaging in, if it's serious enough, eventually it will probably result in some sort of blow-up. And you can fill in the blank of what that sin is. Some sort of blow-up that then causes massive suffering for them, for the people around them. And we as friends of those people, we could see the sin the whole time. We could see the pride of this person. We could see the greed of this person. We could see the lust of this person. Whatever it is, we could see it. But oftentimes, the person who's doing the sinning is not aware of what they're actually doing. They're not aware of their sin until the suffering starts. Once they start suffering, then they say, oh my gosh, It was my pride that led me to do this. Oh my gosh, it was my greed that led me to do this. It was my envy that caused me to engage in this sin. Suffering reveals sin. Now, what you might be thinking, the objection you might have is, aren't you just describing learning from your mistakes? Like, this doesn't seem very revolutionary. Yeah, so you do something terrible, it blows up in your face. Now, in the future, you don't have to do that again. That doesn't sound very revolutionary. But the uniquely biblical perspective comes like this. Suffering reveals sin even when the sin didn't cause the suffering. You could think about it like this. Suffering reveals sin like a spiritual x-ray. When we begin to suffer, even when we have not done anything wrong, take a global pandemic, your sin didn't cause it, you didn't do something to make this pandemic happen, and yet you suffer from it. But what happens is when you start suffering, especially unjustly, 
When you start suffering, it's like looking at an x-ray of your life and all these areas of sin begin to light up. These cancerous areas of your life that are unrelated to the suffering begin to reveal themselves. Let me give you a couple examples. Because that's kind of like a high level, you know, maybe a little philosophical sounding idea, but these examples are pretty real world. I want you to imagine you're driving and you get cut off in traffic. In this moment, you're all rattled. You have to brake really fast. You're shaking up. Maybe your kids yell or something like that. It's a pretty intense moment. You didn't cause this person to cut you off. And yet, the suffering that you're going through reveals all these little areas of sin. You may normally consider yourself a kind and thoughtful person. And in that moment, you're not feeling so kind and thoughtful. You might yell. You might swear. You might flip the person off. And then if you think about it, you say, man, I'm not as thoughtful and kind as I thought I was. What has happened is that this suffering has revealed other sinful areas in your life that you might not have been aware of. Or let's take this. Let's say that your spouse was supposed to pick up the kids from school. You talked about it in the morning. You reminded them. And then what happens? They forget. You're in the middle of a big meeting at work and, and you, you say, you, you call your husband and you say, hey, you were supposed to pick up the kids. Are you going to get them? And, and he says, I completely forgot. And now you have to get out of this meeting. You have to figure out some way that you're going to get over there. And your whole day has been messed up and you begin to suffer. And at this moment, you didn't cause that suffering. And yet all different areas of sin begin to pop up on the x-ray. You start to think, she or he always does this. He's so irresponsible. He never cares. He never thinks about me. And all this contempt and anger and hatred builds up in you. You might not have realized how short your fuse was until you went through the suffering. Well, let's say that you're at work and you get passed up for a promotion. And this was, should have gone to you. You've worked harder. But because of whatever office politics are happening, someone else gets the job. In that moment, now you feel this suffering. You feel that this is undeserved. And you can start feeling this envy bubble up in you. And you can start to, to see different ways that you're very, uh, sometimes selfishly motivated. And you might have very angry things that you're thinking about the person who got the job. And all these areas of sin will reveal themselves on that spiritual x-ray because of the suffering. Even though you didn't do anything to get passed up, you didn't cause the suffering, and yet it reveals the sin all the same. A different New Testament author named James... He puts it this way. If Paul called it a privilege, look what James says. James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. An opportunity. Suffering an opportunity? This should be completely flipping whatever paradigm you had on its head because these are two things we normally do not associate with suffering. But James says it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Anytime that we suffer, it's an opportunity to ask ourselves, what is God revealing in this? What other sinful areas can be removed now that I see them. But here's the problem. We never think like this. If we are suffering unjustly, if something has been done to us that we deserve, that we do not deserve, the last person that we're going to look at is ourselves. The last person when we look to, to see if there is sin at play is ourselves. We're not going to be pointing the spotlight at ourselves. We're going to point it everywhere else. And there is always going to be someone to point it at. Because if you're suffering, and it's not your fault, it came from something else. And yet, the problem is, when we do that, we miss the opportunity. We miss the privilege of following Jesus into the suffering. We miss the opportunity to actually become more like Jesus. Because remember, in Philippians, that's, that's the whole pattern of Jesus' life. He could have avoided it. 
But he didn't. He willingly goes into it because he knew what would be on the other side. Now, I put some graphs up a little bit earlier, but there's an author named Paul Miller, and he says that the, the best graph to interpret what the Christian life actually is, it's not what we saw earlier, it's actually the letter J. It's a J. It's a J curve. And what you see is that on the, on the left side, it goes down. The suffering goes down and down and down, but then when it gets to its lowest point, it begins to take an uptick. And the uptick actually outweighs the negative side of the suffering. And this right here is the pattern of Jesus' life. Jesus is born, and his entire life is like a tragedy where everything just gets worse and worse, and he's heading his way to the cross. He's doing good things on the way, but his whole life is pointed towards death. And yet, we believe as Christians, it doesn't end in Jesus' death. It ends in resurrection. We believe, this is a distinctly Christian belief, that Jesus doesn't stay dead, but three days after he dies, he's resurrected. He is reborn. He's elevated and exalted. And so the next verse, remember Paul had just said he gave up all his privileges. He he died on a criminal's cross, but then this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have to remember, you're not just following Jesus into his suffering, you're following him into his resurrection. And this is a distinctly Christian idea that when we go through that suffering, What happens is that sin is revealed in us, but if we allow it to die with Jesus, then we will experience a resurrection in what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. We'll start to see a a rebirth, a growth of joy, of patience, of peace, of self-control, all things that we desperately need in 2021. That when we allow sin, the suffering to reveal these different areas of sin, We can allow them to die with Jesus so that we can be resurrected with him on the other side. And we can begin to grow more and more like him. We follow him through the entire J curve. I'll give you an example from my own life. Before I came back to Christ Church, I was a pastor in the city um, at, at a church down there. And so my role was to pastor the Sunday night service. So our main campus, we had a Sunday night service. Each of the services had a different pastor. And so that community was the community that I was shepherding. And so as I was leading, I was preaching, I was teaching. We had uh, growing small groups and people were serving. And I felt like I was following God. And I believe that, that that first graph, right? The more that I follow Jesus, the more that I'm going to avoid suffering. My life seemed like it was getting better and better and better. The more that I followed God, the community was growing. Life change was happening. And then my wife and I, we decided to move out to the suburbs to be closer to her work. And so I worked with the staff at the church to make a good transition plan so that the community would be in good hands. A different pastor would begin to shepherd that and, and, and hopefully everything would continue on in that direction of spiritual growth. And then we moved out here. I took a job as a pastor here. And then immediately after the pandemic hits. And so all of a sudden, all the staff members, everyone's roles change. Everyone's doing things that they didn't expect to be doing. And so my role, from a different part of my life, from past experience in a different way, my role now is to be at home, working from home, editing videos, and mixing audio. 
Two things I, I generally like doing, but they're not very pastoral. They're not teaching. They're not leading. Nothing like that. And I'm an, an extrovert. And so being stuck in my house all by myself all day, it's kind of soul draining. The extroverts here understand how hard this has been. The introverts in the room were maybe like, this is the best, best nine months of my life. I was just, this was great. I didn't see any of you people. But either way, I'm stuck in my house. I'm not doing anything pastoral. And so in past times of my life, if my situation or circumstance was in a negative spot, I can look back at my past successes and say, well, you know, I can still feel good about myself because look what I built over there. But because of the pandemic, they shut the entire service down. As some of the services here had to get closed down. And so the community began to fall apart because the service and this, this, this uniting place of everyone coming together was no longer an option because of COVID. And so I'm watching as it seems like my entire legacy is being removed. And now I'm like, there's literally no path forward. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I'm in this spiritual depression for a, f- for a few months earlier this year. And while I'm down there, I didn't realize this at first, but while I'm down there, I start to see all these different areas of sin being revealed. Like I said, these sin did not cause the pandemic. But I start to see, man, I'm actually pretty prideful. I actually look to myself and the things that I've accomplished for my justification. These are the things that make me feel justified. But I actually didn't do anything to earn them. It was God working through me. And so this arrogance and this pride bubbled to the surface. It didn't cause the pandemic, but the pandemic, the suffering revealed it all the same. And so then I was able to begin a a transformative process of allowing those sins to die with Jesus, to experience the resurrection of humility on the other side. And obviously I'm not perfect now or anything, but it's a lot easier to be humble when you literally have nothing to point to, when you can't say, well, look what I did over there because there's nothing over there anymore. The only thing that I could point to was Jesus. The only thing that was validating to me was that Jesus loved me enough to die for me. And so I started to experience this resurrection. And I think that this is true for all of us, that if we start thinking about this differently, if we adopt that J-curve mindset, if we adopt the idea of following Jesus not to avoid suffering but into the suffering, I think that all of us will enter 2021 in a much better position. I want you to ask yourself three questions. The first question is this. We seem to be having a clicker malfunction. The first question is this. God, how do you want me to grow from this? How do you want me to grow from this? If you're going through suffering, ask yourself this question. If I'm suffering, God, how do you want me to grow from this? The second question is this. If there is, is there something I need to repent of that caused this problem? Did some area of my sin lead to my suffering that I'm currently experiencing? And then the third question. If not, what other areas of sin can you remove in my life through this suffering? These are hard questions to ask, but I think they're very fruitful questions. And these are things that you can do with the people in your small group, with your friends. If it's hard for you to be this self-reflective, do these questions with someone else. As we enter into 2021, I believe that we have a better possible mindset that we can adopt as a church. And so I'm challenging you, I'm challenging me to leave behind that faulty, broken mindset that says we should follow Jesus to avoid suffering and instead make the harder choice 
but the healthier, more fruitful choice of following Jesus into it. Let me pray and then the band can make their way back up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can be reconciled with you. We thank you that because of Jesus' suffering, his, his sacrifice, his death, that that wall of hostility between us and you is removed. And we can move from being enemies of you to becoming friends, to becoming family members, to becoming adopted sons and daughters. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us to make that hard decision of following Jesus into the suffering, that we would allow that suffering to reveal the sinful areas in our lives and then allow the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to remove those and allow us to begin to to grow and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and that we would enter 2021 with more joy than 2020, with more peace, with more patience, Lord, with more self-control, with goodness, all these different fruit of following Jesus, of being more like Jesus. We pray that those things would grow and be cultivated in our following of him. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.